friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. So I feel like I've been operating this week without batteries. So, um, awesome. Welcome to Skyline. <clears throat> My name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, like I said, I've been a little under the weather, so you're getting the low, low energy version. Um, I'm like on the yellow iPhone, like the yellow sign on the battery. That's me. Um, so anyways, we're, we're excited to uh, launch into Advent this Sunday. Um, Advent celebrates the coming of Jesus into the world in flesh and blood. And if you know Skyline, um, you know that we love the season of Advent, that it's a special season for us. And we have really enjoyed leaning into the, the historic church calendar to celebrate seasons and to mark time with Jesus and the church. And so we really lean into Advent, into Lent, into Easter uh, and there's really so much meaning to be experienced in walking through these seasons with intentionality to understand why historically the church has really um, lived intentionally in these seasons. So we try to make Christmas a celebration that's just not about us or our families or our kids or gifts or traditions, but to make Jesus the center of the story, the center of our story, that our, our story gets subsumed into the story of Jesus in his coming John 12, 46, Jesus says this, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. We're so grateful for his coming and we anticipate also his second coming, right? We learn how to wait faithfully for Jesus. So we've been doing this for about a decade that we've really been... Um, practicing the season of Advent, and when you do that, the seasons start to pile up, and you start to run out of topics to preach on. You're like, okay, are we going to re recycle, or are we going to go back? And so I, I called Chase, I was at a loss, and I was like, all right, Chase, let's brainstorm, get some young blood in on this, let's talk about what we could preach on this year. And we were just talking and, and brainstorming, and I opened up Matthew 1 and read the genealogy, and it was like a punch in the face. I, I read it. And I tossed it to Chase, and he was like, that's it. We, we got it. And it was awesome. I love when the Lord just, like, does that. And, and what stood out to me in the genealogy of Matthew was the five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. And not just that there are five women mentioned when there's never women mentioned in genealogies uh, across the Bible um, normally. But the, the five women that were mentioned, who they were, what their stories were, and what that says about the coming of Jesus, about his line, about who his mothers were, and what it says about his redeeming story, I think is really important. So we're going to celebrate the lives of these women who are used by God to bring Christ into the world. And um, I love that when Jesus listed his mothers, he listed women who weren't perfect. Uh, he listed real people who had real stories, who fought real fights, 
who kept real faith um, and who stayed in the game with the Lord. Uh, so I, I've always heard across kind of my ministry career and my, my life with Jesus that God can bring ministry out of our mess. Right? That's a great little quip, a great little phrase. But when I read Matthew 1, I realized that Jesus, the Father, right, God brought the Messiah out of our mess. Isn't that amazing? Of all the ways that God could bring his son into the world, he chose to bring him out of the line of Israel and out of the line of a bunch of people just like us, right? With real families, real problems, real parents, real challenges, all that stuff. <clears throat> and so we're going to see God's redeeming power in the, the lives of five women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, finally, on Christmas Eve. And um, the next four weeks, actually, the next three Sundays and then Christmas Eve, there will be women uh, preaching. Because I love the idea of women preaching women's stories. I'm going to preach the first one, so bear with me. Um, I think it will still be okay. So, um, we're going to be on Tamar this morning, the story of Tamar. I don't know how many of you are super familiar with the story of Tamar. But one of the things I love, too, is as you dig into the Old Testament, if you were going to make up a religion the book you would write about that religion would never be the Bible. It would just never be the Bible. You would never say, I'm going to make up a religion that I want everybody to read um, and I want everybody to believe this book is from God and then write it about people like Tamar and Ruth and Rahab and Bathsheba. You just wouldn't. You'd clean it up. Like, like I was telling somebody last night, it's like, I love the fact that John wrote his gospel and he says, when Mary showed up to tell them that Jesus had risen from the dead, it says that John and Peter ran to the grave and Peter arrived second. Like, John's like, just so you know, for all of history, everyone will know I'm faster than you. Like, I mean, why would he include, like, who got there first and who got there? I mean, and John's like always like the disciple Jesus loved. He like wrote it into the story. We don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I guess it's true. It's in the Bible. But part of, you know, the disciples read that like, seriously, man, he loved all of us the same. And he's like, no, me really. I was, I was first. And so I, I love the Bible because it just includes these, these stories that connect us to the characters because we realize our lives don't fit into easy, neat categories. And our lives are full of mistakes and failures and sin and tragedy. And so when we read the Bible, we find ourselves. And as one person put it, we don't just read the Bible, we let the Bible read us. As we read the story, it actually reads our hearts, our lives, our decisions, our mistakes, our families. So we're going to read the story of Tamar, Genesis. Um, let's see here. I lost it here. Chapters that. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm all over the place. Genesis 48, right? Is that right? Somebody help me here. I didn't write it down. 38, sorry. I knew it was an 8. This tells you how out of it I've been this week. 38. It's a great story. My dad preached his first sermon when he candidated at a church, and he was so nervous he couldn't find Galatians, and that was his text, and so he just made up a sermon off, this <laughs> off the top of his head, so he'll be glad to hear this story that I couldn't remember my preaching text. Okay, Genesis 38. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man uh, of Adullam named Hira. So as you know, Judah is one of Joseph's brothers, right? He's in this story of um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth uh, to still another son and he was named Shelah. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah uh, grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira, the Adulamite, went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then went, sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he, in, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat for my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adolamite in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Anam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I, didn't, I did send her this goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said, and she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put, his, uh, put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist came out and he was named Zerah. What a story. So again... This is not one you're writing in your family history books, right? If, like if you write stories down, you're not like, you know what we should really include? And yet, as the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Bible, this story made it in. And as God began to choose who his family was going to come through in Jesus, he was like, that one. And when Matthew wrote the genealogy of Jesus' family, he was like, you know who I'm going to include? Tamar. Why? <laughs> Why include Tamar? What is it about her story that shows us something about who God is in his nature and what he does? 
in and through and for people. I think it's really important. So as I, I read this story, it was kind of one of those, is like, all right, Lord, what are you trying to say and what are you trying to do? That's what, when you read the Bible, you're just always asking, God, what are you trying to say and what are you trying to do in this text? And especially with narrative stories, it can get easy to get lost in the weeds. There's so many ways you could take the story. And there's so many things about the story that are powerful and moving. But one thing stood out to me above all the rest. I feel like the, the Holy Spirit is like, I want to go here and I want to do this. And as I was reading that, I thought it was fascinating that you have Tamar, this woman who gets given to this man. Um, and, and what happens right off the bat is she gets given a wicked husband. Right, so she gets given this man who is so wicked that God puts him to death. Can you imagine what it was like to live with a man who's so wicked that God puts him to death? How bad must her life have been? And so in the midst of this story, you think about Tamar, her life, her heart. Um, what has happened to her in the midst of that God puts her to death. And then... Okay, I'm part of this family now. And then I get given the brother, right, because this is the way things happened back then is the brother was um, required to provide an heir for his siblings so that their family line would go on. And then that brother says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey the law. I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm not going to obey God's commands. And he doesn't do it, and he dies. And Tamar ends up then now with this shame, right, of being... Um, in their culture, being childless, but also having uh, one man be a wicked husband and another man completely rejecting her and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And then her father-in-law shows up and he's, he's so focused on himself, he's so worried that his next son might die and, and almost as if there's a connection between her, I think, and the death of his sons. He's like, well, let's, let's see how things shake out. And he says these words to her, that, and these words just shook me. If you're Tamar and you've been through all of this, you've had a wicked husband, you've had a terrible life so far, you've had another guy uh, betray you, and you're in the middle of a family that you're not really a part of, and you're depending on this man to take care of you. And he shows up and he says these words, live as a widow in your father's house. And it shook me because it was not just a like friendly bit of advice, it was like a declaration over, his, over her life. It was like, hey, you just live as a widow. And not only just live as a widow, but not here, somewhere else. After all that, she gets sent away and she gets told that the ceiling of her life gets placed like way down here. Until my son grows up, right? And we don't know how many years that is, but we find out later in the story, it says many years later, a long time after that, Tamar is still waiting, right, for this promise that he says, when my son grows up, he will give you an heir. Many years later, and what is she doing many years later? It says she, she has to take off her widow's clothes to go and seduce Judah. So a long time after, many years later, she is still wearing the widow's garments. So the widows would wear black and they'd veil themselves and they'd walk through. And there's all these restrictions about what you can and can't do when you're a widow. It puts like this restraint on your life. And I just started to think about what that 
meant for Tamar to be really, in, in essence, Judah cursed her. He said, live as a widow. He forced her into extended and almost perpetual widowhood. When that wasn't the way it had to be, nor is that the way it should have been, right? So after a long time, she's still wearing her widow's garments. And, and, and it struck me that in life, that things that we do or things that we happen to us, we get words spoken over us and we get labels put upon us <clears throat> that begin to define who we think we are and what we think we're given in this life and maybe what God is and says about us. And I got to thinking about like this idea that maybe for most of us it's, it's not actual widowhood. But I understand that as a, as a former widower, I know what it's like to receive a label. And I just always hated that label. I didn't like someone to describe me as like a widower. I don't know why, I just didn't like the constraint of the label. So I, I didn't want my life to be defined by that. But I also think there's a, there's a sense of like spiritual widowhood that comes on our life. Like, it, like it's a spirit of widowhood that people speak over us, over our failure, our pain, our mistakes, our sin. The tragedies in our life that happen to us and people say something or do something that labels us and we interiorize it. We, we take it in and we allow it to begin to define us. So I was just thinking about like spiritual widowhood. Like if I could define that, I would say that like spiritual widowhood is to live in excessive guilt or shame. Like an excessive amount in an excessive period of time. Like for a long time she lived at a, as a widow, far longer than she should have lived in that place. There's a good kind of grieving. There's a good kind of guilt. It's okay to be ashamed of a decision, but... God never calls us to live in shame perpetually because of our decisions or because of what happens to us. But it's this thing where we self-sentence ourselves. We, like, we, we act as judge and jury over our own lives and we're like, we just say, I don't deserve this anymore. And so I'm going to live down here because it's what I deserve. And so you begin this life defined by loss, defined by grief, defined by suffering. It would have been, it, it, think about Tamar, her life, her life was defined by that word. If there was a scarlet letter for her, it was a W, right? It's like, it, it was just this thing and it's on her garments. And it's like this thing where you, I, I think it's so fascinating, think about garments that it's something you wear. It's something that you literally wear. And have you ever met somebody who wears their shame? They wear their grief. They wear their pain. Like you can feel it in their like body language. Like they feel like almost like, you know, they, and it's just that thing you get in front of them. And you're just like, oh, man, they're, they're carrying something. They put something on them. And it's funny because when you're a dad, you have weird analogies. And I think of the movie Trolls. Anybody seen that movie? I remember when he's like describing what happened to him and he's like, singing killed my grandma, right? 
And it shows him, like, he's singing, and then his grandma gets taken by the Gurgan, and then, like, this really sad thing. It, but what happens to him? He loses his color, and he just turns gray. Friends, I watch that movie a hundred times, and every time it does that, I get super sad. Like, it hits me. Like, I don't know, Disney, Pixar, these things get me. Like, right? So, like, the movie Up, the beginning of that, like, just his story with no words. And I was like, I watched that for the first time, and nobody, I lost my first wife in an accident. Nobody described to me what happened. I'm in this kid's movie, just like, just, I mean, bawling my eyes out, going like, they're going to kick me out of here. But like that picture of someone losing the color on their life just hit, hits me every time. Because I've watched it happen in people's real lives. I've, I've watched despair and pain and loss and grief just cause people to shut down and to lose life. And whether it's divorce or abuse or addiction, financial disaster, whether it's death or disease, chronic illness, betrayal, promiscuity, abandonment, adultery, infertility, like I, there's all sorts of things that happen in our lives that just come on us and we receive them and we hold on to them far longer than we should. And much far longer than God would ever require us to as a consequence for sin or for mistake or for failure. So he, here's the thing that you just have to get this um, through your head. You have an enemy. You have an enemy. You have a, there's a, a personified force of evil, a being that the Bible names Satan. And it says his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. He is always scheming to trip you up and to put you out of the game. He's constantly accusing you. And so he loves our pain, loss, grief, sin, failures, mistakes, because he wants to amplify them in our mind. He wants to constantly accuse us of not just making a mistake, but being a mistake. And those are radically different ideas. Knowing you made a mistake and believing you are a mistake are, are so far apart. So here's what I want you to hear about Tamar and her like extended widowhood that I think God's saying to us. The enemy is always trying to turn your circumstances into an identity. He is trying to seal you into I am what I have done. Or I am what has happened to me. It's who I am and I cannot escape it. He's trying to take you now and always turn you to the past. He's always trying to turn your now into the back then. And then the enemy is always trying to get you. So he, he's always trying to turn your circumstances into identity. And he's always trying to get you to live below your inheritance. So if he can... If he can shatter or shake or compromise your identity, he can get you to live below what God's promised you. He can get you to live under that identity and then you start to do the things that you don't want to do that Paul talks about, right? Because you're like, well, I am a screw up. So you know what I do? I just screw up all the time. And then I just slowly stop trying 
to even do better because I, I am a screw-up. Not just that I screw up. I am a screw-up. I am a failure. That's what I do. I fail over and over and over again. The enemy is trying to get you to live below your inheritance. So it's like he's trying to steal your present and he's trying to steal your future. And he does all that. He turns the present into the past so that you have no future. He just, and he just rolls this over and over and over Again, he is trying to steal, right? What did Judah, Judah kept from Tamar the hope of a future by not having a child. In their culture, that's your future is your line. And to take that away from somebody was to take away their inheritance, to take away their future, to take away any hope that they might be remembered, right? It's a, it's a huge deal in biblical culture. So you have an enemy, and that enemy is trying to turn what's happened to you or what you've done into your identity. And you have to fight this constant battle in the spirit against receiving any name other than the one that Jesus has given you. What he says about you, who you are, your identity, and what is yours, your inheritance, you have to constantly be bringing to the front of your mind. Because Satan will be battling constantly. Say, that's not who you are. You are who you were. That's the real you. Anybody ever battle this? Where you just, I mean, you literally have any thoughts. You're like, no, no, no. The real you is who you were before. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I wiped that out. <laughs> it's gone. So this morning I just really felt like the Lord wanted to do some work around this in our hearts. Around who we are in Christ. And I just have four simple things that are literally like... You can go to battle with these things. And this is what we have in Christ, right? Is that in Christ, you're justified, sanctified, you're indwelled by the Spirit, and you've been lifted up. Like you've been given authority. Like you're, you're, you're not under the power of sin anymore. He says, no, no, through the Christ I've given you victory over sin, over death, over hell, over everything. So in Christ you're justified, which means this, you are accepted. You're accepted. By him. You're accepted by the Father. He loves you and he doesn't grudgingly receive your repentance. He welcomes sinners into his presence. He's like, come on. And he's like, the dirtier the better. The dirtier the better. How, how beat up are you by life? How much have you lost? How much have you, have you done to others? How much horrible stuff have you thought in your mind? Come on. Come on. You're accepted in him. Sanctification means you're free. You are free from bondage to sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin anymore, but you're free from that captivity. You no longer have chains on you to the flesh, the spirit has broken that. Now you can still choose what you want, right? You need to be in the flesh or in the spirit. And yet he says you're free. You're free. The indwelling spirit, you know what that says to us? You're not alone. You are not alone. Even if you are alone, you are not alone. <laughs> and it is the testimony of Christians across the ages, across the earth, that have been in prison, solitary confinement, that said that I was in that place and I was not alone. Holy Spirit dwells in me. Jesus, his testimony is alive in me. And the last is that you have authority. You have authority. So do you see what happened with Tamar? 
Tamar heard that Judah's wife had died. She realized he wasn't going to do for her what he should have. So you know what she did? She took for herself what was rightly, rightfully hers. She actually got up, took off the widow's garments, and, and went and forced him to give her what was rightfully hers, what he promised her. So there's a sense at some point you have the authority to act on your own behalf to pull yourself out of victimhood, widowhood, pain, loss, grief, suffering. You can actually take steps into what God has promised you. That's what I think Jesus meant when he says the kingdom of God comes through force. And forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom of God is something you lay hold of. You act on, you believe, you step into. And Satan, your accuser, would love to mark you with this victimhood that paralyzes you into doing nothing. And then cursing God because God's not doing what you think he should do to pull you out. When he said, I gave you a promise, take a step. And if you take a step, your authority goes and then you take another step and your authority goes here and then you just, you start to build this incredible reserve of perseverance and endurance and strength in the midst of your troubles. Because you weren't meant to live in spiritual widowhood. You were meant to live in the kingdom of Jesus. Free and accepted with authority. Paul says this, you were taught with regard to your former life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Put on the new self. I just believe in this generation we are being invited to put off so much of the things that we've been told we have to bear or we have to carry or we're like, is this idea of this garment that we've put on this garment you know what happens with old clothes is pretty soon they just become really comfortable. You get really comfortable in your old shirt that's got holes in it and it's stinky and it's gross and it's just like, but you know what happens is you feel, you feel more secure in the false label you've given yourself, the identity it gives you, than, than to move into like the newness that God has for you. And I think, I think the Lord blessed Tamar because Tamar was like, you know what? I, I should not be a widow anymore. That kid's grown up. Judah's wife is dead. There's, there's people who could take care of me, and I'm going to go and get what is mine. Now, again, that's a dangerous statement because a lot of people try to get what is theirs outside of the, the realm. She did inside of what their system was was the right thing. And it's the craziest things, friends. There's no judgment for Tamar in this scripture. There's not a single verse in the Bible that said she did anything wrong or that God judged her for. And in fact, God used her. Her line, Perez, is in the line of fathers of Jesus. And she's a mother of Jesus. Listen to Isaiah 61. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair or a spirit of heaviness. 
talks about this trading a garment of heaviness. Friends, we live in a culture where we just walk around and so many people are wearing garments of heaviness and despair. And Jesus is saying, I came into the world to swap your clothes. Like, I want to take off that heavy garment and I want to give you a garment of praise, of lightness, of joy, of dancing, of oil, of beauty, of gladness. It goes on to say, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He saved me. He saved me from what? From my sin, from my failures, from my mistakes, from my past. He has rescued me and he arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God says, when I see you, I see you as I have adorned you. Right? So spiritually, he has forgiven your every sin. Past, present, and future. And he says, so when I look at you, I see you as I have clothed you with splendor. So when I see you, I see you like a bride walking down the aisle. And it brings joy to my heart. I've had the joy of doing a lot of weddings lately, and I love seeing the responses of, of the grooms. Right? Seeing the bride walk down the aisle, and it's laughter, and it's tears, and it's like, guys are just like, you know, their body's freaking out, you know, and it's just like, it's amazing. God's like, when I look at you, I see you as one who's adorned with beauty. Isaiah says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. So God's saying like, in this land of darkness, I'm bringing light. He's saying it this morning, and I, I just want to encourage you this morning, if you've been walking in darkness, despair, if you've had a spirit of heaviness on your life, God's invitation to you is to trade it out and to trust him with your heaviness. John 12, 46, I've come into the world as the light so that no one who believes in me would stay in darkness. No one should stay in darkness. Not one. No one should live in the dark as long as Jesus has died on the cross and rose again. His offer to you is to come into the light. I want to invite the band to come back up. <clears throat> the really cool thing is what God ends up doing in Tamar's life. So Tamar ends up getting pregnant. And what does she have? She has twins. In that Isaiah passage, it actually says that when God comes, he'll give you a double portion. What does God do for Tamar? Isn't that interesting? For both of the men she should have gotten a son from, she got one from each of them. So I just want to tell you, those who surrender their lives to Jesus and allow him to break off a spirit of widowhood in their life, to break off a spirit of despair, they get a double portion. You get more than you could ever ask or imagine. Now let me just tell you, if you work really hard to break off the spirit of widowhood or despair off your life, you will never get what you can get from him. So this isn't about working. This isn't about being great. This isn't about covering up. This is about allowing God to see you in your pain and just saying like, like in faith, I'm just going to take that old thing off. 
and I, I'm going to live in the light with him. I'm going to trust him. I, I have no idea what the rest of Tamar's life looked like. The Bible doesn't say. But here's what I know. I know that when we meet the Lord in the light and we bring our heaviness, he takes it and he gives us himself, which he says is light and easy. It's kind. So I want you to stand to your feet. Just take a moment to close your eyes. And can I just ask you, just with your eyes closed and just asking the Holy Spirit in you to identify anything where the enemy has been trying to turn circumstances into identity or any area in your life where you feel like the Holy Spirit's just put his finger on like you're living below your inheritance. The Bible says all spiritual blessings are yours in Christ. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He, I mean, all these statements. Have you felt recently just like a spirit of heaviness? like Tamar where after many years after a long time you're still wearing widow's garments and the invitation this morning from the Lord is just to take them off that's the first step is just shed the old clothes and not even worry about what the first step is but just to open your life to newness Open your life to newness. Take off the old and just stand before God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where we're going, but I know that the old has gone and that something new is possible now. Right, because he says you don't put new wine, right, into old skins. Like, you, like there's this process, the old has to come off. Your old ways of thinking, your old ways of doing, your old ways of reacting, your old ways of how you see yourself. He wants to transform your inner voice about yourself. He wants his word to be the word in your heart about you. So that when you look in the mirror, your first thought is that person I see staring back at me is beloved by God is worthy, is precious, is not alone. That person is accepted, has power and authority, is victorious and overcomer. I'm staring at a bona fide saint. of him so our prayer team's going to come down front I just want to invite you if you've been wearing that garment don't let today pass without letting somebody like telling somebody I want to take this off I want you to pray for me if you have any other needs in your life if you have needs for healing some in your life if you have somebody you're praying for salvation we'd love to pray for people we don't want to miss moments where there's a chance for God's churches together to pray so God, we just love you. And I thank you for the story of Tamar that you, when 
I read that story, I'm like, if you can use lives like Tamar and Judah to bring about the Messiah, you can use men like me. So thank you, God, that you look on the mess of our lives You don't recoil and you don't run away, but you enter into the mess of our lives and you say, let's go about restoring and renewing together. So Holy Spirit, today we hear you speaking to our hearts to come out of the old, to come out of the darkness, to put off the garments of despair and heaviness and widowhood, the labels, God, that we've put on ourselves because of our sin or because of what someone has done to us and we say we are not that, we are what you say we are. So today, would you receive that? Receive what God says about you.